Hey, Clock Dodgers, what's up? This is your boy, Neil. Just ringing in the new year really quick. Before we close it out, I wanted to give you some of my favorite moments from 2017, the Clock Dodgers podcast. Uh, it's in a range of different guests and different moments that we had on the podcast. Great conversations. It's always fun to do this. It's about connecting with people and building these relationships and networking and, and educating, having fun, learning, all, all these things you know, in one. And we've, we've grown a lot in this one year. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. I just wanted to hit you guys with a couple of my favorite moments. I will catch you guys with new episodes, new experiences, new opportunities in 2018. You guys know I love you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for everything we've done. Thank you for everything we're going to do. It's great. You guys are great. Let's happen. Clock Dodgers, CDF. Let's get it. Cannot play with it. Cannot win with it. Cannot cope with it. Can't do it. I'm happy, humbled, proud to have on the show Vinny, not just any Vinny, this is Vinny of the Podcast Hotline Kit. Welcome to the show, man. My thing is, you don't just have that equipment laying around. What's the story behind that? Right. I mean, basically, I, I well, I'm 31 now, and I was making music. Um, and I, I was probably, any, I, I started when I was like, I don't know, 16 or something around that age and was doing it okay. for however long, but I had this equipment since then. So back then it, it wasn't old. I don't think, I mean, to me it was, it was brand new. I bought it brand new. I just had, you know, an original M box, um, my computer, which the computer was different from then, obviously. Um, and then, yeah. you know, the, the headphones that I had from back then even, but I still actually, when those headphones, I, I lost them or misplaced them or something, I actually bought the same headphones again. So those headphones are actually really great. And then I had, um, I did have newer mics since then, um, but the new, the, even the new mic I had was still old in terms of I only used it when I was making music. Um, and so, you know, I was, I, I got into podcasts and heavily after that, not making podcasts, but just listening to them um, after the fact, yeah. not, not when I was making music, but just really enjoy listening to podcasts every single day. I listen to podcasts. I've had, um, depending on the job, I've listened to podcasts for eight hours a day to, you know, depending on if I can listen mm -hmm. an hour or two, whatever. But, um, I was, I actually, I got let go of a job from a job and, I didn't know how long it was going to take me to, to find a new job. But in the meantime, I was like, this is my chance in between applying for jobs and, 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 and doing that, um, to do what I want to do, you know? And so I said, I always wanted to do a podcast after listening to so many of them and they actually have helped me. They've, you know, given me motivation, humor, obviously, you know, they've educated me. So I was like, I want to do this myself. I think it's awesome to be able to connect with people and kind of do that. So I was like, I have the equipment. Why not just do it? So during that downtime of not having an actual job, I said, here's my chance. I got the equipment, not realizing that the equipment was super outdated to, you know, to today's standards. Um, and I just went for it. And so that's when I started, you know, Googling, like how to connect with someone over the phone. That's how I found you. Um, and again, I know when I contacted you, like you said, um, you know, you're thinking, how am I connecting to this? How am I still using this original M box and everything? It's because I wasn't currently using it, but it's what I had, you know, and I wasn't going to um, yeah. let that deter me whether it was old or not. I figured it worked great when I used it. So as long as it still works, it should still sound good, you know? 
Yeah, you you really surprised me when uh, when when you had like uh, all that. Like I knew it would work, but when I was making this, I didn't have that in mind at all. Yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 but but sure enough, you know, you proved to me that it that, that it did work. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. I, 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 there was things I you know could have been better, which is why I've since upgraded. But um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was holding it back a little bit, you know, because obviously, like you said, certain things weren't perfect, or I couldn't do them as well as I could have. So. I did eventually end up upgrading, but during that time, man, your wire, that old ancient inbox, uh, $200 laptop from a Black Friday sale from years ago, and my mic, man, it worked. It made it happen. We have a return guest to the show who I literally could talk to every single episode, and I'd be fine with that, but he's a busy guy. He's doing important work with neuroscientists and brain studies and everything, so I do want to welcome back to the show Ian McLaughlin. So, so deja vu. I mean, as far as someone like you, what what is the most unique thing about deja vu? Is there something that just you know intrigues you about it, or you know, is it just that mystery that everyone you know constantly asks you about it because it's such a you know thing that ponders our mind that we get so crazy about it? For sure. I mean, it, so this is actually probably one of the most interesting podcasts that I've done. So whenever I do a podcast, I do a literature review, right? I look at the research that's been done in the past few years to see what we know. And I expected to just talk about, you know, okay, deja vu seems to be associated with like the temporal lobe and memory associated structures. But I I was actually able to learn, you know, different theories about how memory itself works, but then also like how that sort of process, the process of deja vu is also associated with how people can convince you that you're guilty of things that you've actually never done or convince you of false evidence. Right. It's this it's the same sort of mem- like imperfection of how memory works. Uh, and that that was what was really special to me about, you know, studying uh, this subject. OK, so so let me think. OK, so f- for instance, I'm going to just give you like a personal experience and you just tell me, you know, if this plays into deja vu or what, what it is exactly. So let's just say, for instance, I, I was driving in my car one day. Um, I hear a name on the radio or something. It was just like, let's just say a, not a common name for me, at least I don't hear often like Mac or something like that. It's just like a name I don't hear a lot. And then as soon as I'm hearing that name on the radio, a truck drives by and it says like Max landscaping, mm. like what now, you know, when that happens to you, at least for me, I can only speak for myself. It kind of freaks you out. You're like, okay, I don't hear this name often. I'm, I'm here on the radio and seeing a, a landscaping company at the same time called this. And then, like you said, you kind of start to convince yourself that something's going on. Like, this has to be something greater. You know what I mean? Um, is that what, – what is that? Does that have any relation to deja vu in that part of the brain? Or, or is it just something totally unrelated, but I'm just going crazy myself? <laughs> no, yeah. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably not exactly the same type of process. I mean, so we are fundamentally pattern-seeking. Right. So like, you know, part of how we evolved to, you know, navigate the world, navigate the environment was to see patterns in nature. And, you know, we're actually really, really very good at that. Um, But sometimes it goes wrong. So, for example, you know, in a condition like schizophrenia, that's like a hallmark symptom of schizophrenia where people will connect dots that shouldn't be connected. (laughs) And so they see, you know, people wearing similar clothes you know, on, on the same day. And they're like, you know, they make the connection. Okay. So they're probably wearing uniforms and who wears uniforms police. And so the police are, you know, like it's that kind of paranoid thing. Um, so just like, you know, our memory isn't perfect. Our pattern seeking, you know, properties aren't perfect either. Gotcha. So, so you, so you mentioned, you know, people who will admit guilt of something they didn't do. And you said it, you said you found that out though, when doing research for deja vu. So, so what is the connection then? Where, where is that? Cause they're obviously slightly different, but what, what is the connection that you, that you, you're talking about? 
Okay, yeah. So th there were two sort of sets of experiments that um, I covered on the podcast. Um, so one of them was an experiment where um, basically this group was trying to see how it is that like images and videos can convince you of false evidence. And so like what the group did is um, they had uh, their subjects take what's called a, a perception driving hazard perception driving test. And then they were falsely accused of cheating on this test. And so this test is like maybe it's part of like driver's ed where you right. watch a video and you, you know, respond to certain problems that you encounter when driving. Um, and so they were shown a fake video or photograph of them cheating, right, doctored, mm -hmm. uh, at either a nine-minute delay after they took the test um, or more than once, either immediately after they took the test or with a delay after they took the test, right? And so it turned out that with a delay, people were significantly more likely to be convinced that they had indeed cheated on the driving test and they would even explain how they cheated. <laughs> wow. Yeah, despite the fact that like literally like less than 10 minutes ago, they had just taken this test, you know, um, and then repeating that false evidence, like repeatedly showing them the mm -hmm. false evidence was also able to convince them that they had cheated when they in reality hadn't. Okay. And is that, is that, does that relate to when they say like, you know, someone says they, you know, they they, they admit their guilt of something and later they, their lawyer or something comes out and says, oh, well, they were pressured for 10 hours and, you know, finally they just, you know, admitted to doing it when they didn't. Is that, is that similar to that? Or is that just a pressure situation? You think that that caused that, like they broke them down? Is that two different situations of guilt where they admitted it when they didn't do it? Or is that similar? I think that that is exactly okay. the problem here, right? I mean, that that's exactly, you're nailing it, right? So, I mean, and that's our huge concern, you know, so, we, you know, our whole criminal law system is sort of based off of, you know, credibility and culpability, right? And so was, did this person actually see the crime is, you know, was there an eyewitness of this event? Right. Uh, so for, you know, and part of this, you know, this uh, podcast, you know, research that I did really demonstrates that, first of all, the memory of the event is very labile, but then also even the way that evidence is presented in court <laughs> can convince, you know, somebody that they're guilty of something or, you know, during an interrogation can convince somebody that they are, they are you know, literally convince them that they're right. guilty of something. And they're not just saying like, OK, I give up. I'm guilty necessarily. I'm sure that happens a lot. Right. But this like can literally convince somebody that they're guilty when they're not. I'm excited to speak with Stacy and Yasin, which are two app developers. Um, they, I, I know them through the Fantasy Life app, which is what they, they work on, obviously, that I'm familiar with them with. But as far as you said, you were going to mention kind of your storyline. And we know Stacy's grit and her and her hard work. And I know you guys have kind of done this all together. But um, what, what, what was your um, you know, motivation to kind of leave the corporate world, Yasin, and go to, to, to something like this, to be an entrepreneur? So I, um, I actually ran my first business right after college, and it was because I, I graduated into a really crappy economy. I graduated in 2009, and I had a job in advertising, and it was rescinded. I no longer had the offer. It was a place that I interned at, very happy there. And I had that offer since November of the year before. So I didn't wow. have to worry about a thing. May 2009 rolls around. I'm graduating, and the offer's taken off the table. Now, look, I'm, I'm the oldest son of immigrants. And I, we do not come from wealth whatsoever. I had no choice but to find a solution. And I have been working since, since I was a kid, like really young. I've been working with my dad uh, on his lunch trucks, his restaurants. Um, and he's been a hustler his whole life. He's a very well-educated man, an engineer by, by, uh, by education. Great, uh, great English, by the way. You know, he graduated at the top of his class from 
a top three university uh, in the entire Middle East. And so he's really, really smart. But he came here and he started everything all over. And that's where I think, I don't know if it's nature or nurture for me, you know, the, the grit and the hustle. It could be a mix of both. But I definitely had exposure to that through my parents where they were hustling all the time. So fast forward to when I graduated and I had no job, I needed to make something work. So I started out, I, I made my first business um, over the summer of my graduating year. And it had to do with sports, actually. I played rugby all throughout college, and I made rugby T-shirts for um, rugby teams all throughout the Northeast um, with a bunch of different colleges, and I sold T-shirts as a fundraiser for rugby teams. And two things about rugby teams. They always need money because nobody supports them. It's a lot. It's very expensive for a team, for a school to say, yeah, we're going to pay for whatever damage you cause to yourselves. Right. And rugby players are more interested in drinking and running into each other than they are about doing other things. So I said, I'm not lazy. They need money. Let me match the two. I made them a fundraiser. So I pocketed quite a bit of money in our, our one month of sales in that September. And I finally got picked up by JP Morgan. I had a great career at JP Morgan. I stayed there for three years. I ended up leading a team there. And then Morgan Stanley recruited me. I was their youngest executive financial services director ever at the company, which was pretty cool. And my team there was very successful. Uh, but I started getting involved in startups while I was there and advising, investing, things like that. And finally, um, my middle brother got diagnosed with final stage cancer. And this was like a huge turning point for me. And it was where I didn't want to dip my toe into the business world. I wanted to jump right in. I knew I already had a ride or die with Stacey, and she had been kicking butt in the New York startup scene. She was at Birchbox, which is one of New York's darling startups, or, and certainly was at the time. And so I had already brought her into the fold at one of the companies that I was already involved in. And uh, essentially, the idea was, life is too short. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and so I basically quarterbacked most of uh, my brother's care. Uh, with all the doctors and things like that. I sat on the board for the American Heart Association, so I was able to call out strings to make sure he got taken care of the right way. Um, and uh, now he's okay. I mean, thankfully, he's okay. The cancer is completely gone, but it was it was by far the worst year of my life. That is amazing. Emotionally. I said, I, I'm good at what I do. The money is great. I was living in a high-rise in Manhattan, that, and my I had a windowed corner... Uh, not corner office, but a window office that overlooked the Statue of Liberty. How cool is that at, I don't know, 24, 25? It was like unreal. That's I cool, won period. the company's global <laughs> public speaking contest. Dude, it, it was like, it was almost, it was surreal in a lot of ways. But as, as, as cool as it was, or as uh, impressive as it might have been, it, it wasn't enough when you think you could die at any point with no warning. Right. And so jumped right back into the startup world, left the corporate world. And for me, I guess I needed a tipping point. I don't know if everybody needs that. There are some people that are uh, maybe more prepped for it than I, um, but I, I needed that financial security first and to sort of taste that, that side of life before I knew that I was okay with uh, not having it. And so I left, started everything all over. And, you know, again, I had my ride or die and Stacy. And she completely uh, jumped on board with me. And so we started our first business. It was very successful. And we sort of earned the right to get that intro to Matthew Berry and uh, decide as a team to work together, which was really cool. 
Main guest who I'm honored to have on it is Mr. Mar Matt, Mr. Matt Harmon. Absolutely, and you know I, I spoke to you before you know before you came on, and I said that I wanted this episode to obviously when people know you're coming on, I get fancy football questions out crazy. But obviously, I told you before you came on, I wanted to go in a little bit more about you and this weight loss journey that you've been on. Well, it kind of, I mean, I guess you're still always on it, right? But um, you've, you've always, yes. <laughs> but it's yes. been like it's been a little over a year. I know you mentioned it on Twitter, and we talked about it beforehand. But it's been a little over a year now since you know you've lost over a hundred pounds, and so I think that's that's huge. And while you know we mentioned the fancy hipsters, NFL.com, fantasy football, all these all these things that you're doing, um, and I just feel like. Although a lot of people know about it, it's still, I feel like it just needs to be heard more and more and more because there's a lot of people that can, you know, dramatically help. Um, so I want to just talk a little bit about the journey, you know, if, if you're down for that. Oh, I'm absolutely down for that. And I really appreciated you asking me to come on to talk about this because, you know, of course, I love talking about football. Like, well, it's my job. So let's hope, you know, it's it's something I never get sick of talking about, whether it's wide receivers or anything else about the game. But, you know, I, and I, I don't want to get like too meta or anything about this, but uh, it's something that I believe that I have. I'm so fortunate and so lucky and, and quite frankly, so blessed to have this little little platform that I've built up with this crazy career of mine, um, I do believe I have that for a reason. And a part of that is that I, I have gone through this weight loss journey and other other things that have come along with that. And I believe that I, I it's like my duty to give back to the universe and like help other people along with that. And part of that is sharing this story and being super open about it. And it's a huge part of my life. It's a top five. I mean, it's a top five most important thing in my life is my health, my fitness and, and this weight loss journey. And I want to help as many other people kind of find that as I can. So it's always good to just, to just get up and talk about it. So I, I really appreciated you reaching out and asking me about it. I, absolutely, man. And so for those who have never been heavy or don't know, you know, what it's like to have have been at that level, right? That you were at, um, you know, I mentioned you, you've lost a hundred pounds or more. You're you're still on that, you know, the health kick. You're never gonna let that go. Of course, you're still living a healthy life, but that was a big achievement in itself. And you know, for those who don't know, I mean, it, it's probably like basically someone handing you a whole new body, right? Like just kind of like a new a whole new experience. Um, can you explain just that in itself, like the the difference from now to then, like that that feeling physically, emotionally, er everything involved. Oh, yeah. Well, for one, it's really hard to put in words and it's hard to like stick to just one part of it. I mean, because there's simple things, man, like I, you know, like I go to a store now and like I can find clothes that fit me easily. Like <laughs> I can remember, you know, I can remember like being, I don't know, you know, I guess in college or you know, late high school or whatever and, and like thinking to myself, like I can't shop at that store um, because they're not going to have clothes that that fit me. Right. And that's that's like, that's embarrassing. <laughs> you know, it's hard to like deal with. Uh, I don't have those sort of issues anymore. And that feels, I mean, that feels really, really good. I know that seems like a sort of small petty thing or whatever, like clothes that fit you, like whatever. Uh, but it's just, yeah, like having, you know, not having to worry about, like, I just, I just flew back from, uh, my buddy's bachelor party in, in, in Montreal. And like, there are several parts of that, that, um, that, that go into that, like being, not heavy now that make me feel better. Like I don't have to worry about getting on an airplane and being like, Oh God, I'm going to be that guy. That's like taking up too much space. Oh, like God, do I need I'm two be, seats. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I'm going to be so, but like you, I used to go on planes and be like self-conscious about yeah. that or on buses. And like, I'm taking up other people's space and like whatever. Um, or even just going like when we're out in the city in Montreal, like, 
you know, I can go, I feel much more confident to like go up to girls at bars and talk to them or whatever. And, you know, go up to anybody. Like I don't go into every interaction with this burden of this massive insecurity because I'm overweight. Now I say that, and I always, I always caution people. Like I think sometimes people get into the mindset of like, if they have self-esteem issues or they have insecurity uh, baggage or whatever, and I'm sorry, I could, I could, you know, rant. If I go on any tangents or I rant or anything, you know, feel free to whip me back into shape. But uh, <laughs> you're more than welcome. You know, I I, uh, I get I get like people people kind of sometimes have the 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 idea that they're going to lose all this weight and then that's just going to fix all their other you know kind of self image problems. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, I I hate to say like that. I feel like I still have this like kind of inner fat kid or whatever. Kind of sometimes reminding me like, hey, you know, you're not good enough, or you're not with this that, and the other. That's always going to be a part of your life. But so I do feel so much better um, uh, physically and confidence wise uh, in myself now. It is it is very much like a whole new body, and it's hard to not be like once you get started, it's hard. I, I, it's hard for me to relate to not being obsessed with it, like, right? Because um, it feels so good. Um, this week, I had reached out to Justin, Justin Lerner, uh, Lernero. That's kind of part of the, um, you know, the, the scary thing with stuff like alcohol, and drugs, whatever. Because you, you meet so many people who say, um, you know, I drink at social events to take the edge off mm-hmm. or to loosen me mm-hmm. up. But then mm-hmm. you see some of those people go down that dark path later with it, you know. And it's just, oh, yeah. it's interesting how that turns into something like that for some people and then other people it's just you know nothing um yeah yeah it's a genetic it could be genetics it could be how early you got in the game and it does you know in this disease that i have doesn't discriminate on on ethnicity or age i know people um you know that that decided to stop at 70 and i i know people that are younger than me that decided to stop so it doesn't doesn't care how much money you have or whether you're puerto rican or white or right absolutely or black so yeah, and that's kind of something I was going to ask you too. Was do you, do you feel like okay? Obviously, now you know you're older, you're wiser, you got kids, you got jobs, all mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel like if you had your first drink now, it would be different, or do you think that that always would have been what it turned into? I think, given the knowledge and the wisdom that I have now, so I mean, if you look at, of course, I'm 34 years old, so you're I've been around longer than um, you know when I first when I was a teenager. When you're young, you're dumb. And you don't know any better, and, and, and I think that's just the, the way it is for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, but given what I've consumed as far as information, I mean, if you look, I know you're down in Florida, and I'm outside of Boston, and when you look at, like, crime in a lot of these communities, and, you know, there's an opioid uh, uh, epidemic in this country, and, and, of course, alcohol kills many, many, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands every year, all, the, all of this a crime that we keep read about or see on the news is tied or there's a correlation to alcohol and drugs. Right. I mean, whether it's robbery or prostitution or, you know, you know, abuse, spousal abuse or whatever it may be, you'll notice that there's a correlation to drugs and alcohol. So for me, you know, you, I guess my eyes became wide as I got older and, and, and I don't want, I want to, uh, again, uh, I think just, you know, you want to be decent contributing member of society and um i think uh drug free uh is probably the <laughs> probably the best way to do it <laughs> right it's the easiest way to do it without distractions yeah. probably right. um right so so like during all this drinking right um yeah. and at, at any time i mean did you personally acknowledge to yourself that it was an issue or did somebody come out and tell you like this has to stop type of thing 
you do. I mean, we've all woken up with hangovers and said, I'm never going to do this again. You know, you uh, piss the bed or, you know, you woke up and you don't know where you were. I'm never doing this again. And then the next day you're doing it again. You go, well, something's wrong here. It's like banging your head against the wall. Why does my head hurt every time I bang my head against the right. wall? Um, but that's where the addiction comes into play. But And, and, and of course, um, numerous people, old girlfriends, friends, you know, you have a problem, you drink too much, you have a problem, and you, and you, dismiss, you, know, you dismiss it because uh, all those occasions that it was pointed out to me, I just wasn't ready. And I think it's like any other adjustment you try to make, whether it's weight loss, uh, or, or or booze in this case, the individual has to be done. And right. I think at, at that point, 2013, I, I was done. I had heard enough people. I'd heard myself uh, enough. And um, I was just done physically and mentally. And ho hopefully, I mean, that's not to say I'll never drink again. Right, right. Sir. But, you know, which is why they, you hear one day at a time. Because, you know, that's how I do this is one day at a time. Sometimes right, it's a constant thing. Yep, yeah, right. man, for life, yep. And, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, you mentioned having to be ready yourself. And it's like my experience with people who have had alcohol or drug addictions or, or whatever it is, um, it's like, you know, I personally can't change their mind. I can't make them stop. Um, no. And, you know, it kind of makes you frustrated as the person trying to help, you know, it makes you sad. Yep. Um, and, you know, w w would you agree, though, that, you know, OK, not not necessarily do you agree, but what, what do you what would you do? If you were the person on the other side, like you don't want to give up on somebody, but at the same time, you're saying that they have to be ready themselves. So what do you do as the person trying to help? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a friend today call me who's older and, and he's, a, he's a funny son of a bee. And he's dealing with booze issues himself. And, um, and I, you know, I, I talked to him and I shoot from the hip with him. And he said, look, I'm, I got a younger kid that wants to talk to you. We heard you talking the other day. And he's, you know, I think he, he might be ready to have a conversation. And you extend your hand, you know, because I think that's why we're all here, essentially, is to, to help each other right, in one connect. way or another. But you're not going to shove AA down their throat. You're not going to tell them that you're taking them to a detox. You're not going to start dumping out their booze bottles. You, but you're going to you'll be a, an ear for them to talk into. And you'll be uh, – and, and I can only tell somebody what I know and what I've learned in the last four years. And it's certainly not the perfect program. I mean, it's a – in-depth, uh, elaborate program, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is 12 steps and there's writing and the stuff goes into it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's the not drinking part is the important part. You're not consuming that, but right. you, you, you never want to beat up. There are aggressive people that I know, you know, uh, as far, but, and I, and this ties back to what I said to you a few minutes ago, as far as the person has to be done. Now you're either done or you're not done. And if you're not done, then I probably don't have a lot to offer you. But if you think that you're done, you know, there's there's pieces of advice and, and, and ways to get better um, one day at a time. It was about having a man on the podcast named Ishmael Zamora. Like when, when you're grinding and you're pursuing this passion that you love, in your case, it's football. Um, it's bigger than that nine to five window. And so I feel like if, if you stay in that nine to five mindset, you never really make special things happen. Right. So. I, I created the podcast and the brand to kind of build that culture, you know, to motivate others, even if it's just to entertain people to, you know, make, take their mind off things and make the hustle easier for them. But for you, you've come so far, man. Like I said, you know, you're, you're an elite athlete, you know, you went from being a, a kid to Baylor to the NFL, even to push through, you know, personal obstacles and, and challenges that you faced. What, what motivates you, Ishmael? Uh, really? The thing that motivates me is just, just 
not only just making like my, for the most part making my my parents proud, the people who made me, and making my family proud, the people who put so much into me and so many values into me to just make me the person I am today. Uh, so I want to make them proud. I also want to make all the people that helped me along the way, like my coaches, my teachers, and my administrators from my high school, for sure. At my old high school, I really, I, I go back to my high school a lot. And I, uh, and I talk to them sometimes. I sit down and talk to them for hours because I really appreciate everything they've done for me. Right. So I just like them happy. And then also, it's just for, like, for me internally, I like to make myself, I like to, like, I have goals, so I have to like certain goals I want to reach, and it's like I can't let myself fall short of something. So if I feel like okay, I know I can do this, or mm, I know this will be this will require a lot more than I'm used I'm used to. So I know that it's I'm just a competitive person, and I just don't like things. I don't like things to defeat me. Right. So is uh, uh, athletic standpoint or emotional standpoint, I just don't like to let things defeat me. I don't like to let things bring me down. Right. So you're motivated by yourself and also from, like you said, the people around you who, who have invested in you, right? And yeah. I, I ask that question because I truly believe like what motivates you is going to motivate people who are listening to you. Know what I mean, it's kind of it's an, it's infectious in, in, in a way, um, motivation. So I always like to to kind of peek into that and see what it is that's pushing you, especially when you're at this level that you're at. Um, I, I've talked with other guests before about it, you know, who, who have come on the show, and I feel like it's in, it's an interesting question. So I tend to ask it a lot, but um, and there and there's really no right or wrong answer to this. But what what motivates you more? Is it the people who who don't believe in you and you want to prove them wrong, or is it the people who love you and you want to prove them right? Uh, really, the people that that don't believe me is is well, I will eventually prove them wrong, but it's never just a goal for me to prove somebody else right. wrong. I'd rather show them that you don't necessarily need to doubt someone. You need to pick somebody up. I'd rather pick somebody up than put them down. JJ Zacharyson, much appreciate him coming on. Times where we, you know, short attention span, short term memory. I, maybe it's just me. I don't know, but that's just how I feel. Um, yeah. Now, if, if you could just, you know, leave the clock dodger listeners out there with one thing to remember from this episode. What do you what, what do you want to leave them with? Could be um, about anything, well, literally anything. You can give them dating advice if you want, JJ. Yeah, well, I I do live my life by uh, the motto: "Live your life like it's a romantic comedy." That's my that's my <laughs> that's, that's no, but but I, I think I think if you know if someone's listening, we you know we talked about just kind of my journey a little bit and and what um kind of works or what I I think I think is helpful for writers to keep in the back of their mind and analysts um when it comes to the fantasy football industry um remember to differentiate yourself and, and remember to just be yourself i think that's the, the most important thing people want a human to be behind all the numbers and all the analysis just be yourself and and come up with some really cool ideas um just just through your amazing brain that you have with me today is my guest and good friend marcus grant from the nfl network you obviously on on social media and whatnot and i see you out there traveling the world man yeah you know i took a little vacay this year um it, it, you know the last so I have some friends from college or three of us and every year because we don't get to see each other a lot anymore. Uh, we decided, you know, the three of us will take a trip somewhere around the world. Uh, last year uh, we went to, uh, went to Amsterdam, went to Ireland. This year we decided we'd go to Scotland. Uh, I threw over a little stop in Barcelona uh, before that too. So uh, yeah, you know, 
like there's no real off season for us. There's always something going on, right. but there's like there's like a six week kind of slow period that starts usually starts uh you know start of june goes through mid to late july so six to eight weeks that's pretty much when everybody at the network sort of flees the area for at least a week or two just to kind of get ready get themselves recharged so uh yeah i was lucky enough to, to be able to to get to europe for 10 days and, and see some things and go to some places i've never been before and uh yeah, it was great. I had a good time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Always recommend if you have an opportunity, uh, you know, if you can travel, I absolutely recommend it. It's always just kind of eye opening. I think it just it's just enriching for for your life. And it's you know usually a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I figured you guys had some kind of window there because I seen like Harmony and stuff. It seemed like you guys were all going somewhere at the same time. And I was like, that must be a little window that they got there. They could travel on or something. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was kind of funny, too, because, you know, like I, I would be places and I would you know take a picture and maybe post it on Instagram. And I go through my Instagram feed and I see all my coworkers posting vacation pictures <laughs> from different places uh, around the country and around the world. I'm like, yeah, so everybody, everybody pretty much bailed out right around the same time. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. So, so, so did, I mean, do you travel like that often or is this like a new thing? I mean, how, how is it you think you're going to continue doing that or what? Well, you know, I know it's you know, so as a kid, we always took a family vacation. Like my, my dad made it a point to take us somewhere. Uh, you know, usually it was, you know, we pile in the car, like, you know, my parents and my sister and I would usually pile in the car, we drive somewhere. Um, and so like lately, yeah, I've, I've tried to expand a little bit. I've, I've been you know, fortunate enough to be able to, to kind of take some bigger trips. Uh, and I do, I, I really just kind of want to make it a point to, to go as many places as I can. I mean, it's, it's a big, huge world out there. And if, if I'm lucky enough to be able to go see parts of it, then, then that's what I'm going to do. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where if you've ever traveled internationally, once you do it once, you kind of get a bug for it. And it's, it's something you want to do uh, as many times as possible. Yeah. That's what it seems like whenever I talk to people, they're like, yeah, I went here, I went here, I went there. It's like, dang, we go everywhere once you start going. <laughs> what, what, what do you take away the most? So like when you go to these places, is it just like the cult, the different cultures and the people? Is it just like a totally different world, right? Every, everywhere you go feels different. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, it, it, you're right. Every place feels a little bit different. Uh, you know, there's definitely, you know, I, I, I enjoy... I enjoy sampling the food and drink in different places wherever I go. <laughs> but, you know, just as much fun is meeting people from other parts of the world and, and kind of you know, talking to them about you know, what, it's, what it's like where they're from and comparing notes with, you know, being, being an American and, and, and going abroad and that sort of thing. Or even just, you know, it's funny, the one, the one thing you notice is being in a place, especially if you don't speak the language or if you don't speak the language well, um, you start to gravitate toward anybody you hear speaking English. You know, you, <laughs> you start making friends. And so if you're somewhere where maybe you're not all that great on the language, you hear somebody speaking English, you immediately walk over, you're like, hey, you sound American, you know, <laughs> and that's how you find some little common good, ground. Right. It is. It's a good, quick, easy way. I mean, I was in Barcelona. I was on a walking tour and I, uh, you know, I met a, a woman who had graduated from like Auburn. You know, I, I have nothing in common. I've never been to, to Auburn. I never, I don't know much about it other than they, they play good football down there, but Hey, it was like, Hey, you speak English. Let's, let's hang out for like an hour <laughs> exactly. and just be friends for a little bit. That is hilarious. I mean, and of course I got to ask, I mean, if you could recommend any, you know, one place, where would you tell people to go? If you had to recommend one so far? Oh man. I, for my money, I I loved Rio, man. I went to Rio years ago, um, and and was in Brazil for a while. But something about Rio, the city of Rio, was magical because it 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 sort of has a big city feel because it is you know it's a big city, but there's uh so there's the kind of cosmopolitan aspect to it. There's nature. I mean, you've got mountains and kind of forests within the city, and you've got the beaches, and I mean it just 
it literally had a little bit of everything and the vibe was just so cool and so relaxed and the people were great. Um, you know, I, I absolutely love it. And you know, if you're in that Brazilian women are awesome. So I, <laughs> I had, I had a great time. I've yeah. never been back, but I would go back in a heartbeat. I don't think you have any arguments on that fact. Um, <laughs> our guest today is Steph Shirell. I always, I, I always see like when things are going on, like we're going to talk about some things, obviously that, you know, for, for marketing, um, include it's, you know, include social media and stuff like that. And I feel like every time I see something happening, I feel like marketing is such a, a big thing these days. You know what I mean, like and, and all, all these big things that are happening, I feel like you can all kind of intertwine with marketing. You know what I mean? Yes, for sure. And especially on the social media front, because if you look at the current events that are happening now, a lot of it is all unrolling on social, social media. So um, it's definitely integrated. Absolutely. So I figured, so, I mean, I mean, okay. So we caught out, we know you're doing good. I'm doing good. You're busy. Work is good. Life is good. Obviously you say you're going to spare some details. So we'll, we'll, we'll stay out of that for now, but, but I guess let's jump straight into some of these, um, these topics. Cause we got a lot of good ones, a lot of stuff going on right now. So, um, yeah. the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was, um, and and again, this goes straight into like social media and everything is, is the vice president, um, decided that he was going to visit, you know, a football game, watch a football game. And it was the Colts versus the 49ers. And, and the first thing he does obviously is takes pictures and says he's there and all this kind of stuff. And then he bolts and he leaves, you know, because he said that the players kneeled and that, you know, he felt it was disrespectful. You know, the same thing we've been hearing forever now since they've been doing it. But, you know, a lot of people took to social media instantly, especially because he did. I mean, that's where he, that's where he was kind of relaying all these things. And so I wanted to kind of get your take on that because, you know, like I said, social media seems to be the outlet that we're all using now. It's like, it's faster than the news. It's faster than everything. And this is where, you know, politicians now are taking their, I don't know what you want to call it, but like where they're bringing their fight to almost, you know what I mean? Like between Uh, him and Trump and all this kind of stuff. So how do you feel about all this right now? I mean, a lot is obviously being said and there's a lot to, you know, to, to unpackage, but how how do you feel just on the outside looking in at the, you know, just over the whole thing? Um, I feel like everybody with the same mind would look at it. It's very crazy. I feel like we're not even, we're not even like living through a real presidency right now. Like I, I've always been the type of person that's like, I'm not going to talk about Trump. Like, I'm not going to give him any more attention than I feel like he deserves, which right now he doesn't deserve any of my attention aside from bringing awareness to the stupid things that he's doing. But he does stupid things every day. Um, (laughs) But in terms of him bringing him and Mike Pence bringing, um, I mean, all the politicians in general, this is just such a headache. But like everybody on Twitter and everybody's just using this as a platform to sort of say things that um, they feel like they should say. And the funny thing is that like the one of the number one, or I would say not one of the number one, it doesn't make sense. But one of the top like things <laughs> about social media, one of the top rules is that you don't tweet when you're really emotional. So like if you're very angry or, you know, you feel like you're going to be offensive you need to take a step back. Like that's one of the first things you learn as a social media manager. Um, obviously Trump did not get that memo. Neither did my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and so like this leaves a lot of, I mean, I mean, they, they can use it, you know, it's a platform that they can use. There's not anything that says that a president can't tweet his feelings. Right. Um, but I just think it's unfortunate that we are dealing with um, an administration that is so immature 
and that lacks values and direction and they don't have any filter and they don't have any morals or values. And I just think that it's, it's very telling of where we are as a people that we've gotten this far. I have a guest with me today, a returning guest, none other than Ian McLaughlin. Um, sp- speaking of like your past podcasts and stuff, you, you, um, you did ones on a uh, Neuralink, man, that kind of freaked me out, man. They, they, <laughs> they kind of scared me a little bit. Cause I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for, you know, a world where this stuff is real, like where people could read your thoughts or, or make decisions for you and stuff like that. Um, obviously I recommend people go back and listen to those cause you had two episodes on them and it was, you know, really in depth and, and lots of information and stuff. But, um, any, anytime Elon Musk gets behind something, I get a little worried cause it's, if it's something I'm scared of, he's going <laughs> to, he's probably going to get it done. Right. <laughs> so, um, how, how, like as far as that goes, because there's so much to, you know, to, to unpackage with that, like I said, I, I recommend people go listen to your podcast for more of it. But, um, as far as Neuralink in itself or things like it, um, how, how far away do you honestly really think we are away from the stuff like that being possible? Like, for real, like where people are going to be able to use it. Well, so we should say, so Neuralink is yeah, a company <laughs> that, that that was uh, announced by Elon Musk that the, the goal of which is to develop a whole brain computer interface. Um, and so meaning, you know, essentially uh, integrating technology into the, the, the physiology of the nervous system. And, you know, they've, they've made big, bold claims and they are very ambitious um, and so if, if it was just Elon Musk saying like, I'm going to do this, then I'd be like, okay, we'll see. Um, although you're right, you know, when he makes a claim, usually he does follow yeah. <laughs> through even remarkable things, but his board has some serious neuroscience firepower. Um, and I, I, I wish I had the list of, of people in front of me, but you know, these are people who are involved in well-regarded research in neuroscience. And basically the board has, you know, there's so many different ways to integrate technology into the brain. You know, there's things like neural dust or neural lace. Um, basically, there's like, you know, the injection of tiny little um, what would be like, kind of like electrodes into different parts of the brain. Or there's like the implantation of, an, of a, a mesh of electrodes. Um, and so who knows which one will take off if any one of them do. <laughs> but ultimately, the goal is to have a computer be sensitive enough to the brain, to the activity in the brain that it can then read that activity, decipher it, and then potentially allow for computers or you know, other brains that have these technologies to then interact with those implanted electrodes, whatever they may be. Um, in which case, you would, you know, the, the experience of a human in that situation would be so unlike what our day-to-day experience is that um, you know, it, it's almost it's hard to fathom what that would be like. And so w- when it comes to you know, when this might happen, Man, those predictions are are always wrong. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I because it's it's such a monumental task to be able to measure more than just a couple neurons at, at one time in vivo. You know, I just I can't imagine it happening even within, you know, the next century. Wow. But okay. who knows? You know, all it will take is just like sort of you know some remarkable invention that then does enable, you know, this to happen very rapidly. And so, yeah, but I would imagine perhaps within our lifetime or maybe just after our lifetime. Oh, that'd be so cool, right? Um, when, you, when you think about stuff like that, too, you think about, like, you know, like you said, like, you know, the, if it gets into the wrong hands or, you know, what, <laughs> what people will do with it. There's so much, like I said, I recommend people go listen to your podcast because it was fun, both those episodes. So, um, I don't know, it was just so, so much stuff there. But like I said, man, when Elon gets behind something, I, I think it's going to happen. So I can't, can't doubt him. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, my guest today is Erin Ashley Simon. Um, so that's kind of like 
the interesting course I took. But uh, I, I honestly would have gotten here if it wasn't for a lot of the free work that I did and the relationships that I've built. Yeah, that's that's super interesting that you say that because a lot of people don't want to do that, right? They don't want to work for free. They feel like if they're working for free, they're kind of selling yeah. themselves short or, or not putting enough value on it. I mean, you have a lot of experience, though, for someone at, of your age in that industry, which is, you know, is not normal, I don't think, which is cool, though. Um, for, for anyone listening right now who wants to end up, you know, in your shoes in a position mm-hmm. like at a creative company, um, like cycle or, or one of those kind of things, what kind of advice do you have for people like that? I mean, is there, I mean, I'm sure there's no one path to travel, but I mean, do you yeah. have any specific advice that you feel like is super important? Uh, yeah, I would say when you're starting out, like you, it's kind of like what Gary V says, like you basically have to eat crap for a while. In a sense, it's like you got to pay your dues. You're going to have to do things that you may not like to do, but it's going to help increase your resume and increase your value. Like I've done a lot, a lot of work for free, a lot of content for free. I think from when I was 16 to probably when I was 22, a lot of things that I've done in terms of like working in this industry, I had to pay out of my pocket to do these things. And I think a lot of times, um, people expect things to be handed to them and that's not how it works. You kind of have to prove yourself and show your value before you can even start charging anyone for anything. I mean, now I can charge people like, you know, if they're trying to have consultation or want to, you know, anything of that nature, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm able to charge, but starting out, like I would not do that. And, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny too. It's kind of off track, off track. But I, I, I hate when, I, not really hate, but I would say more dislike. I dislike when people also, when they're coming up, kind of like titling themselves certain things like, oh, the next top creative content right, creator, the next right. influencer. I always tell people that you, the, the top people in the industry do not call themselves that. Mm-hmm. Other people call them that. Right. So when you're calling yourself that, it's, you're more so focused on the status instead of your work. Your work can speak for, your, for itself. And I think... You know, I think people also just get too stuck in the the glamour of the entertainment industry and not realizing there's a lot of crap you have to do that you don't want to do. Like, I hate I hate writing emails. I hate it with a passion. But I do that, I would say, a good amount of the day, every single day, checking emails and doing tedious things like jumping on a call and doing pitches. I don't like doing that. You know, it's not something I find it fun. And answering, but far, and answering DMs for me. No. Yeah. Well, no. Answering, <laughs> I'm just I mean, answering DMs are a little bit different. I, I like I like talking to people who I either like what I do or say that I inspire them or just asking for advice. Right. Like I have I have a, a self another number that I put out on social media for people that want to learn content development. So that's everything from like joining my newsletter where I put out once a week. I kind of explain things like oh, if Instagram makes a change or if Insta Story does something unique. There's ways that people can create content and do it in an efficient way, but don't have to spend a whole lot of money. A lot of people think that oh, you need a bunch of um, resources or connections to do things like no just start doing it and you'll find a way that's kind of what we did with the podcast we found a way and we just started and did it right um so i try to like utilize that to kind of teach them that uh anytime there's events in new york if they're around new york i will invite them to it like my friend did a panel um panel series with sennheiser and a few others and they had industry people talk i'm like go there network you know communicate learn 
you got to kind of take action. You can't expect things to be handed to you. The guest is none other than Matt Kelly. In terms of the tweets, I would much rather read a negative review because a lot of the negative reviews of our show actually make you want to listen to the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. Like they'll try to call me names or they'll try to, they'll, someone will explain a segment that we did that I thought was an awesome segment. And then they'll explain it and they'll describe it. And I'll be like, that's that. Yes, that well describes our segment. That's exactly what the segment was. And it was incredible. And you just did a great job explaining it. <laughs> then they just they wrap it up by saying, and this is why I don't listen to the podcast. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait what? You just <laughs> Oh, is it because it wasn't football related? Oh, because we strayed off into, you know, we talked about music or we talked about something else. Oh, OK, well, you don't like that. Then, you know, this show is probably not for you. You know, go ahead and shuffle off, buddy, to the other. If you want to go to a fantasy football <laughs> podcast, it just does all the starts and sits for the week. Go ahead. And it's fine. There's plenty of those out there. The tweets, yeah, the tweets sometimes are annoying because the hindsight bias tweets where the followers just lie in wait. They lie in wait in the weeds, not even the weeds, like bamboo. They're, that's how tall it is. They're lying in, the, they're in wait in the bamboo. It's like a Vietnam situation. Yep. And they're just waiting and waiting and waiting for one of the players I didn't like to play well or a player I like to not play well. And then they just jump out after the result is already in. They play the result on me and call me an idiot. And I keep saying, that doesn't count. It doesn't <laughs> count if you bring it up after the result. If you brought it up before the result and said, here's why I think you're wrong and this is how it's going to play out differently, that's fine. But no one's doing that. You're cowards playing the result from behind the bamboo shoots. Couldn't agree more. I love it, man. It's bad. And you must get a lot more than the average, you know, the average person. I have a lot. I mean, yeah. I don't have that many followers, <laughs> only like 14,000 followers, but my buzzard to follower ratio is very high. It's a very high ratio of people because they just, they, they want to see the guy with the swagger humbled. Right. Like they aren't happy in their lives. And they see that I'm clearly having a good time on my podcast and on Twitter, and, and they are just not having it. They're just they hate, want they're just hate to listening. See this person humbled, right? It, there's too much conviction there, and it's frustrating to see this guy with all this conviction continue to be right. So I need to pounce the moment he's wrong and make sure he's humbled because no one need no one should be allowed to just live life in this you know, spectacular way, just swaggering through life. That's, that's not allowed. Okay. You need to be a, as unhappy as I am. That's what's at the core of those pe fucking people. Can't just be out here flourishing, Matt. You just can't do it, man. No, can't do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> dragging me down, but I won't let them. Nope. I won't let them. I will not let them. I have buzzard repellent and have all these strategies and lots of of amazing followers and listeners that we, we it was a constant battle, but we're absolutely winning. We're winning this war. Yes, indeed you are. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That sounds really good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Man. Yeah, that's good, man. Life's good. good. It sounds great. It's pretty good. <laughs> Visit clockdodgers.com for more unique content. C connect with us now by following at clock dodgers on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope.